Okay. All right. Hi, everybody. Okay. Hi, everyone. Say hi. Um, let's see. Um, my camera does not seem to be working all that well. It is giving some uh, issues. Hi, Zach. Hello, Derek. Wow, this is nice. Um, let's see. Yeah, it seemed to be a little bit out of focus here, but we're going to just go with it because uh, we've been, I've been experimenting with how to go about doing this. And I think the next time I'm going to have the green screen behind me and we're going to do it that way. So um, I wanted to start out with some, oh yeah, let's start out with something easy. Uh, let's start out with the camera set. So I just got this from Amazon. And yes, it is just as big as uh, everybody's been saying. So let me show it to you here. I got, got it in an Amazon box, one of the heaviest Amazon boxes for that size. Uh, so this is the camera Blu-ray set. There we go. There we go. And it is big. Oh, see, it's huge. It is, it is unwieldy at times. And it makes the Criterion Godzilla set look small in comparison. But it is huge. It's big. It's wonderful. And I did see a couple of them already. So what we got here is we got this comics collection right here and then we got what even is this oh the art i believe this is the art yes um a lot of this art was uh matt frank i think at least uh wasn't the cover art so here's the here's this here's the front of that that's what that looks like then we got that's the back and all sorts of wonderful stuff in here. Um, then let's see what else. It's huge. Uh, so now I'll go to the Blu-rays. Let's get to that now. Mm, so here's what the front looks like. And then... All the Blu-rays are right in here. Um, there were some people that were saying that they were getting um, they were getting charged by Amazon, but they weren't. It wasn't shipping. That wasn't the case with me, at least. Uh, that they charged my card, and then they shipped it like immediately at the same time. So I don't know if uh, I don't know what exactly Amazon was doing, but it worked okay with uh, worked okay with me. But yeah, isn't this pretty? Um, it's, it's, it's way bigger than I even thought it was going to be. 
so yeah it's it's very impressive it's very impressive i like it um I didn't expect it this soon, actually. I expected to get it like a lot later, or maybe even not at all, because for a while there it was uh, people were waiting a long time. But I did get it, and it looks it looks great, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, whoa, oh, thing's heavy. So let's see. Um, and I noticed that like sometimes. It's kind of funny. I, I notice when when there are people who uh, are like big Godzilla fans, but then they look at Gamera and they're like, "Oh well, haha," you know, that's really cheap or whatever. And it's like that's kind of funny that that someone would say that because some of these Gamera movies are not exactly all that far off, you know, quality wise from what Toho was putting out with Godzilla. Um, so it's, I don't know why uh, the, the Gamera like snobbery thing happens. Uh, I, I think there are a lot, there's a lot in these Gamera movies that is good. Uh, of course, everybody shouldn't, well, maybe not everybody knows, but my favorites, Gauss, Gamera versus Gauss. I, this, it, I, I've still, I saw it when I was a little kid, loved it then. And I loved it now. And of course that's the first one that I saw out of these Blu-rays when I got this the same day. I was like, well, we're popping in that because it's, it's i think one of the best gamma movies that there is and of course i have the nostalgia bias going on but gosh it, it's still great now it is just a great movie now still and it's it's fun it's it's bizarre it's they they really knew what they were doing when they made it so next yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do a full tour of this Gamera thing and spend 20 minutes. Um, other people have done that. There's probably like a million videos out there of people who have uh, already done that. And you may have probably already seen that uh, from people who got it earlier. And I didn't really, uh, I didn't really choose to, to get it really early. I, I got it sort of late anyway, so I'm surprised that it showed up at this time. Um, so, next... Next, I will go into some of the, um, I mean, well, first, actually, I want to talk about how this is the third anniversary, uh, close to the third anniversary of the first broadcast of uh, Kaiju Vision. Uh, September 20th, 2017 was the first, uh, that was when the first two episodes of the show were released. And it feels like that's been a really long time. Uh, I, some people say that time really flies. For this, I don't think time really flew. I, I, so much work put into it. I, it doesn't feel like it was a short time ago. It feels like it was a long time ago, actually. And maybe it just had to do with this year being the way it is. Um, but those two, those first two episodes were something I was really proud of. I mean, I'm proud of just about all the episodes of this show, and I thought that uh, th that the debut went well. It's just that uh, considering the the subject matter and how this how the audience is of this show is like a niche audience. It's like a, a niche audience within a niche audience, and uh, I'm surprised that we got as many views as we did. Uh, but I'm really happy that it's, that it's the third anniversary now, and it's the show's come a, really far, 
And there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, they first started watching it and now it, it's so much different, you know, it's, it's moved to video and there's a lot more going on with, uh, with the topics and keeping hold of the issues. I mean, this has always been about issues and about the missions. Uh, hi, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, and it's, it's, this is such a important, uh, concept such a big concept to try to put together because this show has so many missions uh w whether it's supporting the alliance between the u.s and japan uh letting people know about japanese cultural connections in the movies the political connections i mean these movies are in many ways inherently political from the beginning there's some and there's politics even in movies that you wouldn't think there's politics going on there is because of the the symbolism uh and I, and I love making historical connections to these movies it's awesome and um i i'm and like episode four was about uh the war crimes tribunal the tokyo trials and so like that i've been hitting controversial issues a lot uh ever since the the show's inception when uh when i first started though i i thought well i i I didn't think that I would get as much attention as I am now. I don't think that, I didn't think that I would get as many followers and uh, whatever else on a you know social media. I didn't think these things would be happening. Um, oh hi, hello Sean, uh, Sean, and thank you to and everybody. Uh, I mean, especially Sean that you're here right now. But thank you to everybody who donated to the show when uh, when when Patreon was active. Uh, it, it helped recoup some of the equipment expenses because like there's a lot of equipment that goes along with this, uh, especially with the video stuff now. But even back then, all those videos, were, you know, that was that was a lot of time and work and money. But uh, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on and uh, and thank you for for donating, Sean and, and everybody else who donated, Kyoe, um, uh, Robert and trying to think of everybody else. I'm trying to think of everybody who's my, it's been a while since Patreon was active. And like th this shows, this show is never really about the money anyway, or about fame. This was just about getting the message across. And that's, that's what I think is most important. Uh, so like when I, okay, so let's get into something else. I looked at, uh, I think it was like a week ago now that I got this there we go well at least the autofocus is working on we can at least see that so uh th this is the um latest uh the 128th uh g fan magazine and it shows you just how long this uh, this fanzine has been around it's been a long time um there has been a lot of talk recently in the past couple of days i uh uh, regarding, let me find it, this article, but you know what? Everybody's talking about it, so I'm not going to talk about this one as much. So what instead, I, instead of talking about this one that's at the back, instead I'm going to talk about this article that's at the front, very close to the front, uh, page five, in fact. So there we go. Uh, yeah, this page right here, yes. How G-Fest got canceled. So there's that. Because um, I was rather, uh, well, reading it was a rather interesting 
thing because I uh, wasn't really sure what to make of it. It isn't exactly, I mean, I guess this is supposed to be the official account of, uh, of this year's issues with G-Fest, but uh, I really don't know. I'm really not sure because, uh, well, it, it kind of left some stuff out, but here we go. Um, uh, <sighs> mm -hmm. So I did talk in a live, uh, I don't remember which one it was, number two or one, whichever one that I did the, uh, the, uh, the charity live stream for the uh, uh, COVID-19 disease and the coronavirus. And uh, and I said how, you know, if you can't keep people safe, reasonably safe, then you shouldn't do the event because it would be very bad to have someone actually get this horrible disease and then die of it as a result of being at the convention. And then people having to get emails and contacts saying, oh, if you were in contact with this person or, you know, even breathed the air that they exhale, then you might have also gotten sick at G-Fest. And it's like, I really don't want to see that kind of nightmarish scenario. Uh, I don't think that'd be good press for the convention. I don't, I don't, I literally don't want to see people die. Like a lot, a lot of, uh, there are quite a few people at G-Fest, including me who are disabled and not in the greatest of health. And I, I think that for people who are more vulnerable, I think especially that would have been a very scary uh, thing to have to go to to go and literally risk your life to go to a Godzilla convention. That's uh, not good. I mean, you shouldn't have to. And and for a while it was like, oh well, what are we going to do with? Uh, how are we going to have microphones working? Because you know people are holding the microphones and touching them and breathing into them when they talk. And so how are you supposed to even do that? And like if they're if they're even going to have a G Fest next year, how are they going to fix this and, and make it so that it's safe and that you you don't feel like you're gonna you know something bad's gonna happen to you? So that that was my position. I was like, if you're not don't have it, if you're not gonna make if if you're not gonna you know guarantee people's safety enough and and like I I heard that you know a lot of people who go to G-Fest, they get sick with something else anyway, even before the coronavirus thing happened. And um, I think that was mainly because of that horrific bathroom downstairs across from the ballrooms. You know where I'm talking about if you've been there. That place was, uh, I mean, if they had it this year, if they had given GFS this year, that place would have been ground zero for COVID transmission uh, for the entire Northeast Illinois area. And uh, not clean, not good. Uh, and I didn't even, last time I was there, I didn't even use that downstairs bathroom. I went up to my room upstairs and I went to the bathroom up there. You know why? Because uh, safety and because I don't like getting sick. A lot of people don't like getting sick. Who does like getting sick? So, that was my position, but this uh, th this article of about this, uh, yeah, exactly right, Sean. Like I, I the 
the public restrooms are, are the number one way, but then there's a lot of like handshaking and stuff like that. But I don't know if there's going to be much of that anymore. Um, so this article though, uh, about how G fest got canceled, it, it really, it, obviously it, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect this article to talk about the tweets that the problematic tweets, uh, that were, uh, about, from the GFest account about this kind of stuff, I didn't expect that, or the back, or the the backlash about this to be covered. Obviously, that's a that's an omission, and it. But the thing is, the the public relations aspect of this it didn't go over very well with everybody, and not that everybody's going to agree on everything anyway. But, um, well, okay. So though it says though initial. Model prediction projections predicted U.S. death tolls would top 2.2 million. Those numbers were quickly revised downward as it became apparent that the highest risk population consisted of elderly people, 70 and over, with multiple pre-existing medical conditions. That was one sentence. The death rate for younger, healthy people eventually became known to be about the same as a typical flu, while COVID-19 impacted teens and under even less. Um, hmm, all right. Um, I think what some of this, I think what some of this is doing is, is it's mixing susceptibility and how your body reacts to and fights off the disease because that's those are two different things so you know back then when people were saying uh you know younger people are uh, are less likely to die from it that somehow morphed into oh children are less likely to get it and th those are two different things and uh and i also but yeah the the this is really the kind of the same thing that we got from uh, a lot of people that you know it said well if unless you're old or really sick that's the only time you have to worry about this well it's not one of my friends who is is with the who watches the show she uh probably got it and tested negative and it was probably a false negative and now she's having symptoms of heart disease like seriously this is a big deal this has this can have long-term effects even on healthy people your lungs your heart your uh your brain like your muscles like so much stuff that that affects you long term for the rest of your life and uh, but anyway, as the vi this is going back to the article, as the virus spread during March and April, governments adopted restrictive measures in an attempt to make sure healthcare symptoms would not be systems would not be overwhelmed by COVID nineteen patients. Many of the measures were aimed at preventing people from gathering in groups and abetting transmission of the disease. Even so, predictions of the course of the virus still varied widely. Well, uh, March and April, I I think by April, I think we knew what we were in for, at least I did. Um, on May 5th, Illinois Governor Pritzker revealed his state's five-phase plan for lifting anti-COVID restrictions. Illinois was divided into four regions, blah, blah, blah. Region, okay, basically region five was uh, was what Rosemont was in because the village of Rosemont is uh, usually included with Chicago, sometimes not though. Now, as it says here, now it is included in the suburban Cook Country region. I think it's Cook County, but yeah, all regions were in phase two as of May 5th, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, Pritzker himself was quoted as saying that phase five might not happen until next summer, summer of 2021. At that point, the writing was on the proverbial wall. Even if the Northeast region entered phase four in the shortest possible time, there was no way that phase five would begin in time for GFS to be staged. Um, and yes, it says here, as it turned out, the Crown Plaza O'Hare, the G-Fest venue, only began a limited reopening on July 12th, the day G-Fest was supposed to have ended. At press time, all regions in Illinois remain at phase four, and no convention activity has been allowed to take place, and the calendar of the Stevens Convention Center across the street from the Crown Plaza is empty until late August. G-Fans look forward to 2021 with the hope that COVID-19 will be but a bitter memory and GFS can proceed as usual, but after watching state governments impose restrictions that have devastated businesses and thrown tens of millions of people out of work, nothing seems certain at this point. Hmm. Well, um, I didn't read the first couple paragraphs of this. Um, this says it was there were plenty of speculative stories in the press. They were often contradictory, and much of the information about the virus was based on supposition. Supposition? Speculative stories? Okay. Um... Yeah, I think that first paragraph that I read was probably the most uh, difficult one that I'm it's just kind of a, it's like having something stuck in your teeth and you're trying to get rid of it. And it's just, uh, um, it doesn't really sit right. But I, I I think the the way that this, I mean, a lot of you have seen how this was handled publicly on social media, particularly Twitter and the GFest Twitter. Uh, it, it didn't go over very well with a lot of people because uh you know and i understand wanting to hold the event and wanting it to still happen and i understand why that's important to do that but at the end of the day you you, you need to protect people who are going to be at this convention and, and if you can't reasonably do that then unfortunately you know might be a good idea to not do it um i think the the whole thing where the whole is that whole dismissive thing of it's it's people who are extremely old and it's people who have lots of pre-existing conditions and they're the only ones that need to really worry about it. I don't think so. That's been proven wrong over and over and over again. Um, I mean, and, and like children can get it and then they get that inflammatory syndrome where like all their organs get inflamed. Like th this is not uh, anything to screw around with. And I think that maybe you need to reassess things or change where you're getting your news from because uh, it just seemed like the uh, it seemed like there was too many bad choices being made regarding this. And d does anybody think that that uh, GFest is going to happen next year? Personally, I don't know if GFest is going to happen next year. They can plan on it, and it's going to be at a better hotel and. Uh, that sounds great and everything, but at the same time, I don't know if we're going to be quite there yet. Uh, maybe by next spring we'll be able to have a, a vaccine, but we're going to we're going to be in for a hard winter, I think. And um, who knows what things are going to be like by the time January or July comes around. The other thing is, if if you go if you have a reservation at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare right now. 
you might just want to periodically check to see you might just want to check on your reservation on the Hyatt website and actually see, did they cancel my reservation or not? And if the hotel cancels your reservation automatically and you, either you get notification about it or you don't, but if you, if you, if you, if, if they automatically just cancel everybody's reservation, I think we know if the event's going to happen or not. So that's going to be, it might be the first indication that, of something actually happening is that quite possibly because they would just go through and everybody who was booked that weekend, they would just blanket, you know, cut out all of it. So, um, I was wondering if any of you had any questions because this, this year has been really hectic and, and I had a busy month this month and, uh, I, I was keeping track of everything that was going on, but I wasn't quite uh, up to date on necessarily everything. But I think that news is happening so fast and everything else is happening so fast right now. It's, it's hard to keep up. And I've, I've tried to uh, keep track of uh, what's going on in the Godzilla world. And um, sometimes I go, I, I go on... Um, Facebook, not very much. Um, I usually just uh, sift through Twitter and see what's on there and uh, see what everybody's saying. And I, I think that um, G-Fest right now is just uh, getting, it's been a bad year for G-Fest and for the G-Fest account on Twitter for sure. But it's, uh, it's just, um, it's a tough year for everybody. And there's there's so much like w w even when i mention twitter to people lately they're like oh my god that is so toxic i i don't even want to be associated with it and i uh i feel your pain on that and it, it just ends up being um kind of nasty and uh but i think really the stuff that's going on in the godzilla fandom right now it's an indication that it just it's a reflection of society in general in, in a lot of ways right now like you know it's the same current events are affecting everybody uh this in, in different ways and it's it's difficult uh right now and then of course i think it's an election year i think people are are going to be more upset and uh difficult, you know, difficult problems with, with in their lives anyway. People are on edge and nervous. And I, I think election year and the election season just lasts way too long. And I, there's a, a lot of fatigue uh, within in the population as a whole, a lot of fatigue and worry and anger. And uh, it's just not, not really conducive. And I think the not that I want them to actually do this, but not, I don't want them to actually release a Godzilla versus Kong. Any, you know, I don't think now would be a good time. Definitely not. They keep delaying it. It's been delayed like what, three times now? But my point here is, is that it, because there's, this has been canceled so many times now and post, well, postponed, I guess, uh, to a later date. There's there's kind of this angst in the Godzilla community that um, has has developed because there's no movie and there's nothing new being released and 
this Gamera set is really the one of the big things that's been released this whole year that the Godzilla Kaiju Phantom can get into. And at the same time, though, they're movies that have been around a long time sometimes. And in some cases, these movies have been around a long time. The first Gamera was uh, 1965. So the with that, it's... Uh, it's not exactly something new, new, uh, but I, uh, also the, with the movie being delayed, I think it's caused some angst among Kaiju fans and Godzilla fans, you know, because they were wanting to see this movie. Originally, it was what, May 2020 that this thing was supposed to come out, and that would have been, what, just two months or so before G-Fest would have happened, so we could have had people associated with, the, with that movie maybe show up to G-Fest and... That was the other thing. That was the other thing that really got me with with G Fest in general was uh, this year and and the the pushing to keep it going until the governor stopped it. And that was the the guest aspect, the guests of honor, particularly because the these are Japanese people first of all that with and so like you have to deal with quarantines and restrictions that Japan has put on and you know restrictions on international travel and requiring people to quarantine once they get in to japan you know back from japan if the if guests of honor came here and went back um and he, I, you can't you wouldn't have been able to guarantee any kind of safety for the uh dignitaries and guests of honor from japan at all you know that they, they'd have to get on an international flight um it would probably been one of those flights that's like direct from Tokyo to Chicago or um, at least I would hope either, either Narita or Haneda to Chicago directly. And that's a long flight and they're going to have to be on a plane with who knows how many people. And then they'd get off at O'Hare and, you know, breathe everybody's air in there. And then they have to get to the hotel, which thankfully is a very short trip. But at the same time, you're just adding more instances where they could have been exposed to something. And if I, I think it would be, if, if G-Fest had somehow happened, like still happened this year, imagine if, if like, a, you know, if a very popular and, and well-liked Japanese person who came here get, as our guest, imagine if they got sick or like they, like they, <laughs> they could have started showing symptoms by the time they would have to go back home. And so what would have happened then? They could have gotten stuck here, you know, like at uh, one of the hospitals in Chicago, maybe, and, and, and put in the, you know, who knows, put in the hospital, hospitalized, put in the ICU, put on a ventilator, who knows what could have happened. Uh, put in one of those iron lung machines, you know, that like, straps them into the bed and then the bed like rotates in order to rotate all the fluid in their lungs around. I mean, this is, uh, I'm not even trying to sound scary. I mean, this is what, what actually happens to people. And I, uh, I can't imagine something like that happening to, you know, um, just throwing it out there. Somebody like Akira Takarada or, you know, Shin Shinji Higuchi or, you know, anybody. And um, if you, that would have been a, a a PR disaster and it would have been a massive uh, tragedy to a lot of people and it, it would have been uh, it would have exemplified the mismanagement and the the lackadaisical attitude towards the virus so 
thankfully, uh, G-Fest didn't happen, at least in my opinion. But uh, I can't imagine having to take care of, of, of uh, Japanese guests there and and the and a lot of them are are older too because they were uh associated with movies from the showa or the heisei era and so the, the if you keep adding all these different places that they could have gotten the virus then ugh, it would have been a disaster so i'm not really sure i don't know what i don't know what was really going through their minds when they were keeping g fest planned because it's like okay even if the convention had happened, I would have hoped, and and they probably might have even kept, been kept because of quarantine restrictions and travel restrictions. But I would hope that that, that no Japanese dignitaries would have come just out of you know respect for their own safety, and uh, that I think that would have been a remarkably risky trip for them to make. But getting back to Godzilla versus Kong, though, when. Uh, when you have this delay going on with, with this movie for so long, uh, some people are going to get angst and they're going to get um, restless because uh, there's nothing new coming out. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, everybody wants to see this movie. And in a way, I don't know, some people, um, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm almost dreading it coming out. Um, I don't know why. I, I'm hopefully, I mean, like if they, if they release it, online like online only like streaming only i imagine they could lose a whole lot of money they would have gotten otherwise if it was released in the theater and even if it does get a release in theater later it might it might not be as many you know the ticket sales might not be as high as what they would have if this movie had been released in may 2020 and there was no coronavirus um obviously this movie is expensive it's a pretty expensive movie and there's a lot of cgi i'm sure and a lot of action and all that and so there's a lot of money and time that was spent on this movie so uh, just giving it an online streaming only release would be uh, very bad as far as just how much money it would make and so if you're not going to recoup anything uh, comparatively then you have no choice but to delay it I think well, I, maybe I'm wrong about the revenue aspect of this and the profit stuff, but um, there's a lot that's uh, going on with 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 the movie industry right now, and uh, and like some people in Hollywood who were starting to make movies got the virus, and so they had to you know take a delay there, and um, it's very hard to schedule events and have them come off as you hoped that they would, but problematic I, I don't know if jonathan you're saying as someone who teaches government I absolutely agree election season is too long yeah it's it's terribly long in fact and i don't really know um why that's well we know why it's the money i mean the money is one reason why so many things are screwed up in this country but it, the incentives for things like this are all out of whack um, i've been going back and forth between whether I want to do an episode on the prophecies of Nostradamus or not. And I think it goes back to, am I going, you know, can people who listen to the episode actually get this movie uh, and watch it? Because that's part of, part of the experience. You should be able to get movies. And when, uh, when the seasons for the show 
uh, came out, there were DVD guides that and and other other guides that said, here's how to get this or that movie. You buy it on this site or you buy this version of this. There are multiple versions available, et cetera, so that you can get them all. And now there's more streaming now uh, since 2017, 2018. There's more streaming options available for these Godzilla movies. But um, and but like some of these Toho productions that are uh, non-Godzilla tokusatsu, uh, stuff like Prophecies of Nostradamus, The Last War, uh, movies like that, those are a bit more obscure and sometimes a bit harder to get a hold of. And Nostradamus is one of those ones that is very difficult to get a hold of. And I, it, I, it, I pause when there's the possibility that uh, viewers aren't going to be able to get this. And uh, it would be best if they did. It would be best if they didn't get it so they'd be able to watch it and then listen to the episode or or that but now uh <clears throat> i mean submersion of japan was easier to get than this and that was pretty difficult to get too so i i and i don't see toho releasing this movie anytime soon either they're not going to give a, a home release of uh prophecies of nostradamus because the the interest groups that were upset when the movie came out are just as you know, they exist today still, and there are still uh, victims of the atomic bombings who are still alive. So they still have uh, people to advocate for and, and memories, people's memories to advocate for. And so I don't think Toho is going to unban it, even though they, it was a self-ban. It's not like the government of Japan actually came out and banned it. Uh, Toho pulled it, and, and that's what happened. But uh, I think it would be, uh, I, I think it's a great movie. It's fantastic to watch. I love Japanese movies from the 70s period. They're, they're all great that I've seen. They're, they're fun. They're imaginative. They're filled with just wacky stories and, and great and, and fun special effects that have tons of fire in them and explosions and all that. So I think that's, I think it's a, I think it's a great movie in that respect. I think it's, however, doing it right now, it's a depressing movie, I think, because of uh, you know the whole end of the world aspect of this um but at the same time i i feel that it's it's something i want to cover so i think i'm going to do it but i have i wanted to wait a little while and see if there's any if there was any indication this year of uh of this movie actually coming out somewhere that americans would be able to buy it and be able to see it because that's that's important to be able to, to get movies that people are actually watching or can actually watch and view them themselves. But uh, instead, what we'll do is uh, is I'll just go through and, and it'll be a lot like Submersion of Japan where it's a chronological run through and I make remarks as the movie goes. And then uh, I, and then the, I'm not sure what the related topic will be. I probably have about six ideas for what to do for the related topic for Prophecies of Nostradamus. But it is, uh, but it'll be a good one. I I, I think it's uh, good. And I, uh, when was it? It was a few months ago. I read the entire book of the prophecies of Nostradamus, as well as like his original prophecies, all the quatrains uh, of uh, of all that. And I also read a number of uh, letters that 
Nostradamus wrote to uh, local, you know, important people, you know, princes and, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of, you know, those kind of people in, in Europe uh, at the time, because he would often um, visit them and then regale them about how he predicts all these things. And then he would predict things for them, I guess, and, and would uh, be sort of their uh, predictive, you know, thing. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that later, but um, some of these letters, they were funny to read. Funny. Just, I, I, some of them I laughed out loud because of just the language, the, the, the way that he describes himself is uh, interesting. And the way that he, uh, the, the way that he sells himself, that, you know, he's, he, he had the hustle for sure. Uh, he, he really knew his business. But at the same time, uh, I also read the, and I encourage you to read too, I encourage you to read the book about Nostradamus's prophecies and where, and wh where the sources are. And because his prophecies have largely been sourced. And so it, they know exactly what books and what are the sources Nostradamus used in order to make these predictions because, and that's the problem is you're going into the past in order to predict the future. So like predicting that more of the same, it was basically like more of the same will happen in the future. Well, that's not really all that hard to predict. More of the same in the future is actually pretty easy to predict. Uh, but a lot of the, there was one, like I think three sources there are three sources that a lot of his prophecies came from, like a huge number of them came from like the biggest source. And, and some of the prophecies, as I read them, they were repetitive, vague, you know, obviously predictions like this are going to be vague. Zach, you're saying what's a prophet without some charisma. And yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of charisma. Now that we know more about, uh, you know, now that, psychologists and um, other people on YouTube especially have uh, and, and authors of books have, have taught us more about narcissism and and so then when I look at the prophecies of Nostradamus I'm like whoa okay and I it's it's interesting I, I I don't know if I would actually encourage anybody to actually read all these prophecies but I guess if you want to, it's out there. But honestly, though, I I don't know if I'd waste my time with it. Um, there are, I'm going to cover the prophecies that are uh, the one the ones that everybody talks about. Like the one I'm going to cover those two. The ones about 9/11 um, and the um, oh, you know the, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings atomic bombings uh stuff like that where where people were like oh wow he actually predicted this big thing and that big thing and uh i'm gonna talk about that because thankfully there was a book that was written uh within the past 20 years i think maybe in the past 10 years and it was a, and it was it's source it not only sources all of nostradamus's prophecies or a lot of them some of them you some of them they couldn't nail down a source but the uh, majority of them are have been sourced now, but it also 
the, that book also uh, covers how Nostradamus actually did his prophecies, how he formulated them, what the method was, and how pretty much it's BS. And I know that some people, some I, I think a lot of people love Nostradamus stuff just because of the novelty of it, let alone uh, other other aspects of it. I mean, it's just fun to, some of it's just fun to read. And uh, it's neat to imagine a, a, a world in which, uh, you know, there are prophets, uh, but I don't, know if there are any right now because well i i seem to remember a uh, a mad tv uh thing where uh oh darn i can't remember her the actress's name but it was this woman and she she was dressed as this old lady right and she calls uh a uh, a psychic hotline and and then she calls and they're like, you know, and it's, and I think they were kind of doing the Miss Cleo thing on the other end, you know, it's like, I will tell you a fortune, you know, and then um, this, um, that then the old woman's like, were you working on uh, September 10th? And, <laughs> and then the, 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 uh, you know, the fortune teller's like, yeah, well, why didn't you, you know, work and you know then it went into that and it's and i thought it was pretty funny because you know nobody predicted that would happen um and you know it's like there have been plenty of big events in the past four years especially and it's like well it would have been nice to have a fortune teller actually predict some of this would have actually proven that they knew what they were doing but it's uh it's it's definitely uh it's definitely fun to at least talk about Nostradamus and to look at the at look at these prophecies and and like they're they're quatrains as I said they're they're like these four line uh, little uh, um, prophecies and um, and they and that's how they're divided too like sometimes it's two and two but usually it's the it's one prophecy per quatrain and so it's going like that um and that and it's so when you're reading that it's important to understand that because sometimes people take like the first two lines and they think that the other two lines in it is something else and it's usually not it's usually one prophecy in that but re reading about nostradamus was very interesting and uh there's always i mean especially ever since the 60s i think was when uh, Nostradamus came back more into vogue, especially the 70s, uh, late 60s and 70s. People were really uh, um, fascinated by it. And I think people still are fascinated by it, as well as other um, odd occult, I don't know if it's occult, but uh, well, you know, wh whatever you would describe this genre as, um, I, I think it is interesting to think about at least. But Prophecies of Nostradamus is a wonderful movie. It's so wild and crazy, and I, I'm looking forward to doing it. I, I think most of the time this year, uh, I was looking at this movie, and I was like, you know, this movie's depressing in a way, and I'm not sure with all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, I'm not sure if I want to cover this and actually do this because it would it doesn't. Whenever I do episodes on these movies, I'm watching the movie multiple times. Uh, through and and then there's 
at one point, one of those viewings is when I go through and actually write down everything that I'm going to say, because, you know, all these episodes are pre-written, all of it's pre-written, especially ever since uh, the Shin Godzilla episode, 37, and now we're on 57, 58 will be the next episode. But it's important to, um, to get that across. Um, and so when I go through, I go, I watch the entire movie and then I pause, write, and then I pause again and then write and pause and write. And that process, it can take, um, like a whole day writing. And sometimes it takes a couple of days just because it, I have so much to say and so much to write down. And then, uh, then I can go through and write it and either type it out or edit, uh, typing is a little bit difficult for me, but when I, uh, uh, but some way or another, I'll, I'll be able to get all that across. But sometimes, I mean, the Submersion of Japan episode was huge. It was long. I mean, it had had an interview with with uh, John LeMay. It had all kinds of uh, the, the the chronological run through of Submersion of Japan is uh, brilliant. I absolutely love it, and the movie is brilliant too. It's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. And it's funny that I never knew that when I started this podcast that actually there would be so much interest uh, for, uh, that I would have so much interest in the non-Godzilla movies, uh, like uh, movies like Dogra or uh, Atragon or uh, Submersion of Japan, uh, especially. Like the, there's, um, and especially like there's non, I mean, there are kaiju movies that are non-Godzilla, but then there's also, uh, you know, toku movies that are completely no kaiju at all. But a lot of those are some of my favorite ones. I mean, I remember, I think John said that it was his favorite movie of Submersion of Japan was. And um, so I'm looking forward to it. And it's just, uh, it is going to be a lot of work. And it's, uh, I not only over-prepare, but I overwrite and I... uh, uh, my perfectionism gets in the way and, and, uh, and it really, uh, it's not a hindrance, but it definitely makes things longer and, and bigger and, uh, a lot more to cover. Um, but I am, I will get to it, but I think that there were, I think this year that, I think this year there were a lot of issues that I wanted to cover that didn't really fit into a movie. And, uh, just like last, the last episode that I did, um, there's, there aren't any, movies that uh, I know of uh, in the Godzilla or Tokusatsu world that that talk about that issue. So I just had to tackle the issue on its own separately. And there are sometimes where I'm going to have to do that, but I prefer to talk about the issues within the context of uh, the movies, preferably, for sure. Um, let me see. Yeah, I think that I think that one of the most important things this year is that I uh, have taken enough time to concentrate on what's important because this year has been very tough for me uh, and a lot of other people and people I know have had a very difficult year too. Um, and I had a family member pass away and it was a uh, really bad and uh getting through that was difficult 
and uh, this year, so many people have gotten sick and so many people have uh, been through so much. And I feel really bad for what uh, a lot of people have had to go through because it's, it's not easy. And I think a lot of people are under a lot of stress. And, uh, I, and I know that there have, I've seen plenty of messages of uh, people who um, they, they put on social media, you know, here, if you if you're having trouble, call this number, you know, if you're or do do something. And I think if you have if you if you have uh, emotional or, or if, if you're feeling like your mental health is just really bad, uh, social media is probably one of the worst places to be on, I would think. And I, I think you if you have uh, that big of, a, of an issue that needs attention, uh, definitely just unplug from this crap, uh, unplug from all this stuff and and take care of it see somebody and uh and take care of it as much as you can it's just like it's just like your physical health you know like it, if you're having a lot of problems with your physical health you should see a doctor you should do something about it uh try to get it fixed and i i, I think there are a lot of people that they don't treat mental health the same way like they do physical health and that's unfortunate because it's you should do the, you should take action for, for both of those things. Um, when, when I first looked at starting this show, I, I wondered about if talking about the issues would be worthwhile and it most certainly has, it has been really good. And I, I think that if you're going to know about Godzilla and Tokusatsu, you should know about the issues. And notice I just said, I said, should know about the issues. I'm not saying you have to know about these things. You can go all your life without having to know about these things or knowing them at all. But Kaiju Vision is here for you if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But the thing is, not everybody's going to be, you know, but it, it is here for you. And uh, and I think that tackling these issues within a tokusatsu and Godzilla slash kaiju uh, um, format is worthwhile, and that and that it will. Uh, I mean, and this isn't about like lecturing you or like being you know some sort of authority on stuff. I, I think I think it's easy to learn about these issues if you have enough information in your head to be able to sort it out and give the proper context and be able to lay out the facts in uh, a proper way and to to inform people rather than to uh, act like you're some big cheese that knows everything because I, I don't know everything but at the same time I did go to a pretty darn good school and I got a pretty good degree and uh, I've studied politics and world affairs for a long time and um it's that has the, the the education that i got served me very well and i feel very comfortable tackling a lot of these issues uh and some i i didn't feel as comfortable but i guess, guess what i i went and i learned i went to library and i read things and i looked at articles and you know you once and then once i felt that i had a good enough handle on things 
then I, I, I'd be confident enough to go ahead and do it. Um, and I, I wish that, uh, I wish that I had been able to, uh, do, uh, a lot more this year, but at the same time, uh, I didn't want to overwork myself too much. Uh, and, uh, because I just didn't feel quite, I didn't feel like I was quite ready for it. Um, I wanted to take things at my own pace and my physical health hasn't been great this year, but it's been, I think it's actually better than last year, thankfully, but, uh, it's, it's good to be able to take your time and be more deliberate. I, th I think the breakneck pace of the first 37 episodes of the show, uh, the, like releasing an episode a week, uh, that was fast. But at the same time, those episodes were audio only. And then there was just a scenic video to go with the audio on YouTube. And you didn't see me and you didn't see uh, anybody else. And I think it's important that we did get the video thing working. And because uh, I, I really like uh, being able to do these more in person. And I, I like the extra, um, I don't mind the extra work that goes along with it. I don't mind having to uh, work with the technology to get this set up. Uh, it's not that bad, but, uh, I think it's important to not burn yourself out. And I think after, after the first season of the show, uh, I could not help but feel a little bit burned out by the time G Fest came around after, uh, um, after 2017 was over and into July, 2018, that was, uh, uh, a very tough time for, uh, for me because I, felt that I was just, you know, killing myself here, getting way too much, uh, having way too much work. And, um, it's, it's hard to maintain that kind of a breakneck pace. And at, at the same time, there's been more preparation into what I've done, uh, ever since August of 2018, there, there's been more deliberation on the topics. There's been more research. There's been more work behind the scenes done. And so that's, that's important to get across too. Um, but I, I don't want to, I, I didn't want to get too, um, burned out on this because then I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, and, and this month was busy, but I thought I'd do, I thought I'd do live and, uh, show up and say hi and, and see how people are doing because, uh, that's, that's good to just check in on you and uh and i'm glad that uh i'm glad that you're all here and that you're interested in uh in keeping this going and and for those of you who have had a tough year i uh i can relate and i uh i'm i think i think uh you know we still got three more months left in the year and this year can't end soon enough, can it? I just, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like this year has lasted two years so far, if not more. Um, and that's why I, I mean, that's part of the reason why I think starting Kaiju Vision, you know, releasing episodes three years ago for Kaiju Vision, that's one reason why I don't feel like it's been a short time. I feel like it's been a pretty long time. Um, but I wanted to see also if, if any of you have any other questions or re reflections on uh, anything that's been done with the show so far. Um, if there's anything that you'd like to see happen that uh, that isn't right now, 
And, and if there's anything else that I can do, and if there's anything else that, uh, that you'd like to see, uh, there are still plenty more movies to, to be covered on the show. But at the same time, uh, I, I think that the, the issues are possibly more important than covering the movies. I'd rather, I, I love talking about the issues. And I love talking about how all of these issues plug into things. But at the same time, I love just taking the issues on their own separately. Um, I think that's, I think that serves people well as well. Um, but I, and I'm going to uh, continue trying to get uh, movies like Nostradamus uh, out. Um, and I wish that I could give all of you a, a website or an Amazon link or whatever in order to be able to uh, get these movies uh, to you um, so that you can see them. Because that's, that's important. I'd rather not cover a movie that people can't access. Um, but some of these uh, some of these movies, they are still considered rare movies. And I, I remember when the show began, I mean, some of the Godzilla movies were hard to get a hold of. Movies like Son of Godzilla on Amazon. You know, there would be somebody charging $150 for it or whatever the heck, you know. And uh, that's not access. That's not real access. That's not acceptable. Um, that's just somebody fishing for a whole bunch of cash for a DVD disc. And I just don't... Um, I just don't think that's, that's worthwhile. I don't, I don't want to make people have to go and, and buy something that's extremely expensive and, uh, and just in order to watch a movie. So I think that, that is important, uh, to be able to get that. Uh, Zach is asking, have you ever considered doing an episode on, Pol uh, on Pogosari in North Korea? Yes, I, I did. Um, and, and it's funny that, uh, I, and yeah, I have uh, I have talked to people about that. I think I talked to uh, Kevin Derendorf about that when I was, I think it was either it was either before or after the interview that I did with him at G Fest in 2019, which that feels like it was four years ago. Um, yeah, I think that would be a great movie to cover. And I think there are, uh, I think once I exhaust more of uh, the Toho options here. Um, then I, I will uh, start getting into uh, other other uh, countries and other studios um, and, the, and the movies they've been releasing. Um, with that, so yeah, so like North Korea and then uh, South Korea and then, um, yeah. And also um, one movie that I mentioned, I just mentioned on social media, I didn't talk about it in any episodes, but there's, uh, a movie, I believe it was called uh, The Tower, I believe, and it was, uh, it's a, it's from 2012, I think, it was a, uh, it's a South Korean remake of that 1970s movie, The Towering Inferno, uh, which is, you know, the big building, a disaster movie you know, fire, fire in a big building thing. And uh, I watched that because I, I really love 70s disasters move, disaster movies uh, from the United States. And so I decided, I was like, oh, this, this should be fun. And it was, it was a fun viewing. It was, uh, 
it had a lot of good effects going on in it and it was uh it looked really cool i, I really liked it and i i think that that's that's awesome i, I really i almost want to do you know more episodes on disaster movies just because because they're they're fun to watch and they're uh to some people they're, they're guilty pleasures or to some people they're not guilty uh pleasures um and they, and they just enjoy watching them just because they're so um wacky and so different and interesting and uh yeah th th these disaster movies are pretty cool i like them and i i really uh love how uh how south how the south korean movie business uh did that movie i they you could tell that they had watched the towering inferno over and over and over again and that they had respect for it and uh because it's amazing to have the towering inferno come back uh as a south korean movie in modern you know present day uh kind of industry and i i thought it was a very cool movie um zach is saying disaster movies from the 70s and kaiju movies share a lot of dna I was attracted to both as a kid for similar reasons, I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, just recently, uh, I was wa I was sort of binge watching some of them. I saw uh, movies like, oh, oh, uh, The Swarm, like the the one with the bee, the one with the killer bees, and and they cause all these disasters. They cause train wrecks and nuclear nuclear plant meltdowns and uh all, all this ridiculousness and i i uh even though i understand uh the guy that made a lot of those movies uh was a hard person to work with but at the same time you'd almost expect it uh considering uh considering how these went um but movies like the like the towering inferno love that uh earthquake if you ever had to have a chance to see 1974 movie Earthquake, see that. Uh, that's that's great too. Um, oh, I, I'm blanking on his name. The the guy that. Erwin uh, um, Allen. I didn't look it up. I was about to look it up. I remembered it. Erwin Allen. Uh, he did the Swarm. He did Earthquake. He did a lot of those disaster movies. He did. Uh, Sign adventure. Uh, he he was a he was a tough guy. He really did a lot of those a lot of those movies, a lot of the work he wrote. He uh, he financed some of them, and he uh, I mean he, some of these movies were expensive to make too. Um, but he uh, he was really dedicated to uh, making these great disaster movies, and uh, it would have been interesting during the 1970s to actually have lived during that time and and actually seen movies like this in the theater because that it would have been pretty cool. Um, I, I think also I would have loved to experience the burnout that the audiences had at the time where they kept seeing all of these disaster movies and they kept getting more and more ridiculous and they kept getting sillier. And then, you know, then the, the 80s rolled around and they made Airplane and I, I would have. I mean, I, I people laugh at that at that movie to this day, but I that movie would have absolutely just killed me laughing uh, if I had actually been alive at the time, seen all of those airport movies and other disaster movies, and then seen 
the spoof like to end all spoofs almost like it's it's such a good uh, spoof of uh, of those movies that it just it, it was very smart those that movie was very smart and uh, I would have loved to have just seen all those disaster movies got burned out from them and then gotten sick of the formula and then seen and then, then turn around and seen airplane I thought it would, I think that would have been hilarious if, especially to have like seen airplane in the theater with an audience i think that would have been absolutely hilarious um but i love those movies i love the airplane the airport movies and i love all those other movies they're fun um and i and i think it was i think it was partially because of submersion of japan when i was doing that episode i sort of binge watched uh a lot of those disaster movies over again and they were good uh fun to watch and just neat special effects uh really fun but yeah um I think there's a good connection to, between those and um, between the kaiju movies and uh, 70s disaster movies. I, I wish that the U.S. would start making more of these disaster movies again, um, at least sort of uh, the classic versions of them and try to be a little bit like the 70s movies were. I, I don't know if that's asking too much, but now it, it's just, uh, I think there's so much CGI that it's just, you know, I've kind of had enough of people looking at CGI and not reacting the way that they should. And I know it's hard for actors to do that, but it's like, okay, at least give them an idea of what they're looking at. But because uh, I, I think The Tower is a good movie from uh, South Korea. I think they did a, a really good job. And uh, I wish that the United States would release more of these movies. I wish they would um, and, make, and make something different. Uh, but right now we're really into um what do they call it um all of these um movies like 1984 uh, and uh you know man in the high castle um there are a lot of uh of these movies that are out now um dystopian yeah dystopian fiction uh, and that kind of stuff. And, and now there's so much dystopian fiction that it's almost like that's almost becoming a parody of itself. And maybe somebody should make a parody of those movies. That'd be interesting. But uh, I'd love to see America releasing more like classic style disaster movies like what, uh, like what the South Koreans were able to do uh, with that. I thought it was fun. Um, well, I think unless you don't have any more questions, I think I'll do the last thing that I wanted to cover uh, for the show because it's important. Uh, and that is the uh, new prime minister of Japan. And so I want to talk about that for a little while because we, we've had Prime Minister Abe, uh, you know, he resigned. He was the uh, longest serving uh, Japanese prime minister uh, in uh, post-war history, and he uh, was in office for a long. It was in office for a long time, and it's it's hard to believe that the Abe era has finally ended because it's been just such a long period of time. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that and, and go through maybe a, an article or two about it to be able to um, really appreciate it. And one thing that is interesting that I saw about uh, Yoshihide Suka, Suga, um, he, yeah, I'll start out with this fun little factoid here about him. Uh, 
he actually there's a man named Bill Granger who is the owner of the Bill's restaurant chain and he said that he felt he had found a kindred spirit in Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga after Suga said that he eats Bill's famous ricotta hotcakes for breakfast three or four days a week. And so uh, that there's some this connection here trying to you know humanize uh, the new Prime Minister of Japan. And I was like, I don't think I've heard of ricotta hotcakes before, but I don't think that I had actually uh, knew what they were and I don't I, I've never tasted them before um but uh it is uh let's see whether well, there was even a uh yeah one and a third cup ricotta cheese three-fourths cup of milk four eggs whites and yolks separated one cup flour one teaspoon baking powder pinch of salt and uns and unsalted butter or cooking spray and so you uh, are able to make pancakes out of that and so you have the ricotta cheese that's uh, mixed into the pancakes, and uh, it sounds actually really good. And uh, I, I almost want to make them myself now, just to uh, just to learn a little bit more about it. And it sounds good, but I mean, I I I love trying different kinds of food and new different kinds of food anyway. Um, I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Um, so. He is, uh, Yoshihide Suga, is Japan's 99th prime minister. Uh, I did not know that they were this close to 100 prime ministers now. Um, a lot, and like when uh, one of the viewers slash listeners of the show asked me, uh, what was it, do you, you know, do you th how much do you think is going to change? And right off the bat, I knew that there weren't that many things that were going to change. There's going to be a lot of carryover from the Abe era into the Suga era. I mean, however long he lasts, you know, sometimes uh, the uh, sometimes the Japanese go through prime ministers pretty quickly. It's nothing like uh, Italy, but it is a little bit like that. Uh, we'll see how long Suga holds on. Um, but that, yeah, there's uh, there are some things that are different about Prime Minister Suga that uh, are I think are interesting though. When uh, Suga came into office, he said a lot of stuff was uh, going to stay the same right off the bat. But um, he Suga's origins are different than Abe because Abe, you know, his uh, his family was in power in Japan, you know, they had power for a uh, long time. And uh, you know, not to mention Abe's, Abe's grandfather, who uh, was in power for a while in Japan. Uh, but Suga does not uh, come from a, you know, from a place position uh, that that Abe did. And he's, uh, they keep calling him a self-made man. Uh, and he, and I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, he became a diet member only in 1996. So that's not, it's not really all that long ago considering, uh, considering his, his age and, um, and how, how long some people have been in the diet in uh, Japan. Um, but he, he's pragmatic and, uh, he is not as much about ideology as Abe is either. And 
I one of the first things I read actually was that he, even though he's a member of the Liberal Democratic Party, he is still he's not a member of any of the factions within it because there's like a nationalist faction, like you know, there's a more moderate faction. There are different factions because the LDP is so big, and so um, there's a, there's going to be less of the kind of a nationalism stuff, I think that than uh than what abe was doing uh i don't know if i i i'm not going to give too much of an opinion on if i think that's great or not but i mean it it i don't think that reason why abe was not able to get the constitution amended you know the article 9 amendment through was because that the the japanese people just aren't there yet they they just aren't at the same place that he is was and um and so that there there's more of that pragmatism coming in with uh prime minister suga and so less less ideology and uh more pragmatism and so there's that um another thing that's important that i've i mean i've known about this issue for years and that was the deterioration of rural areas of japan and how there needs to be something done about it and like this has been going on in america too you know like the whole thing with um rural america you know kind of dying and going through all of these um you know pretty big problems and i think that um something i think i think that politicians have a duty to do something about that and to try to do as much as they can to revitalize uh, rural areas and keep them from just uh, because there's nothing happening in these places. There's not much opportunity. And in Japan, especially, a lot of people have been moving have been moving into cities, uh, Tokyo, Osaka, especially. So that's important too. And I, I hope that the new prime minister is able to do something about that that's substantive the thing with the the, the thing with the uh, phone bills came, uh, came up very very instantly as soon as suga was mentioned um and he he's kind of, he's more of like a problem solver and like the and he uh he asked one of his ministers in the cabinet to lower the fees on uh, phone bills in Japan, and that's something that it strikes me as as odd and interesting. But at the same time, that's that's actually pretty cool to do. Like I, I can't you know I can't really imagine a politician in America being like, oh, we need to lower people's phone bills. But that's that's another thing besides revitalizing rural areas. That's another thing that he's doing. That's kind of a problem-solving angle uh, regarding average people and i think that's pretty cool too um and so I, and then um yeah and so like yeah that that's interesting and I, I think that's pretty cool too and we'll see how we'll see how much he's actually able to do uh from his agenda and how much he's not um but this guy, he's he's been more he's been behind the scenes. He's he's not uh, a big uh, boisterous individual, and he's uh, 
quite a bit different from Abe, and he's just uh, a, a different different thing. He's not flamboyant, and he's uh, not as much of a showman, but at the same time, it might be good to have someone in office who is more relatable and who can uh, who can do some more things for for the for the average citizen. Um, and some prime ministers, uh, I mean, some prime ministers in Japan, they haven't been part of a faction in the LDP, but uh, some of them have, and Abe certainly was. And one of the first things that Abe did as soon as he uh, left office was uh, to visit the Azakuni Shrine, um, which is, you know, kind of like a nationalist uh, thing to uh, do typically, especially if you're a politician, because, you know, that's, there's always going to be news in the newspapers if a prime minister or former prime minister goes and visits the Asakuni Shrine, because that's kind of a, you know, that's been talked about before. Uh, I believe it was the episode on Terror of Mechagodzilla where I talked about the Asakuni Shrine. Um, but I wish, uh, I wish all the best to the new prime minister, and I hope that he will be able to find uh, ways to uh, to help people in Japan and to uh, move things forward. He has a lot on his plate, a lot. And uh, I think especially the number one thing that he has got to deal with is the economy. The economy is always going to be the biggest thing, uh, whether it's trying to manage tax increases, the out-of-control spending, um, trade, and also like rural areas deteriorating, there is a lot to that's going on in Japan right now that needs attention. And as far as economics, there's really not a lot that he can do. I mean, like it, they have a limited set of tools that they have to work through this. And I really wish that they could do something more, but in a lot of ways, they're just kind of stuck. And in a lot of ways they have like the budget it's the budget, it's baked in because there are so many elderly people that they have to take care of. And how are you gonna, how are you gonna do all that? But I think that they have a lot on their plate. It doesn't matter who the prime minister is, they, they got a lot of problems. And it's good that, uh, it's good that, that we're getting a fresh pair of eyes, I think, to, to look at this. But I think a lot of the Abenomics, I think a lot of that is gonna stay. Um, a lot of that's going to stay in effect, and there's not much that they can do to change the trajectory of the economy. Uh, it's just, that's just the way it is, and um, I'm not really sure what more they can do, but I wish, uh, I wish everybody in Japan uh, luck, and I wish them, that they all get uh, things taken care of as much as they can, but it's, uh, it's hard. It's very hard, but I think I've, I've, uh, I think I'm, I did. I did want to talk about that because uh, getting a new prime minister in Japan—that's um, not Abe. I mean, that's—it's been a long time. Uh, I think uh, what seven years at least that Abe was in with the second term. It's a long time for a prime minister to serve, and uh, so it's important that we uh, that I take that I make note uh, of that. Um, and so I wanted to get that, I did want to get that in uh, and talk about that before uh, before I finish here. But if, if no one has uh, any other questions, I think I'm just going to end it here and, uh, and tell you all that 
that it's been uh, it's been a good year for the show, regardless of how uh, how this year has been for so many people. Um, it's really um, tough. This year's been tough, and it's been stressful, and it's been um, difficult for a lot of people. And I hope that everybody is uh, stays. I hope that you all stay safe, and that I hope that uh, that it's that you're able to move on because uh, there's nothing I want more than to move on from this year and get it over with and uh, get people vaccinated and get people protected because uh, we'd like to get back to our lives. We'd like to get back to our normal lives as much as possible, as quickly as possible, I think. And uh, so I will, uh, I will let you guys go. And uh, I hope that uh, you all have a safe time and um, there will be another episode uh, or two next month. And uh, I'm looking forward to that too. And if you haven't gotten the camera set, I hope that you do, uh, because it, uh, it's, it seems very impressive. I haven't seen every one of the movies yet, but it is uh, an impressive thing. I don't know if they needed to go quite as crazy with the, the box and the extra stuff, but um, go ahead. Go ahead, I guess. Um, and so it was, it was good to see all of you, and uh, take care, and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye.